This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show, actually no, it's three for the show. Welcome to the Doctor Who Podcast. Yes, hello listeners and welcome to another episode of the Doctor Who podcast, episode 219 to be precise. Hello Tom, it's always good to be joined in the camper van by you. Hello, well, thank you very much, it's nice to be here. Now we spoke about a lot of things last week, most of which I, I don't want to remember because it was too painful. Uh, that quiz is going to stay with me for a very long time. But but Trevor did talk about some other changes that are going to happen on a DWP in the wake of his departure. And the most visible, the most tangible one of those changes is a brand new host. It's Stephen Prescott. You've heard him on a DWP before. You may well have heard him on his own podcast, A Madman with a Box. Stephen, hello and welcome. Hello, James. Hello, Tom. Hello, hello. Good to hear you. (laughs) (laughs) And we really are welcoming Stephen into the camper van officially this time as a new host of the Doctor Who podcast. We had our very poignant moments at the end of our quiz last episode where Trevor... Trevor recorded his final words, for the time being at least, for the DWP. So Stephen has been brought in to fill some rather large Antipodean shoes. Good luck with that, Stephen. Yeah, I, um, trying to flop around in them over here, so... <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, um, in addition to the new host, uh, you've already heard a new theme. You've heard our new voice of the Doctor Who podcast. That's Trevor, so he's not gone for good. Um, but I think it is about the right time to say thank you very much, Marty, and... Uh, and in case you listeners are wondering who Marty is, he's the guy who has those incredibly resonant, dulcet tones at the beginning of the show, certainly since 2010, that says, you are most welcome. Well, mm. out with the dulcet tones, out with the hypnotic voice, in with Trevor. Yes. Anyway, Stephen, we want to get to know you. Uh, so we're going to spend <laughs> <laughs> the next 30 minutes or so firing questions about your Who-related obsession um but uh, but before we do get into that you've been spending some time at a rather large sci-fi convention in san diego and uh, just wondered would you like to share with both tom and i and indeed the listeners uh, your experience of the last few days uh yes uh i had just returned yesterday actually from san diego uh comic-con international which mm. everyone who's saying the u.s got got the trailer first it is an international convention doctor who is huge huge at uh, comic-con this year it was it was everywhere uh there was a, a a very large fan meetup that bbc america put on and uh everyone uh everyone who was there for doctor who showed up so uh, mark gatiss and david bradley and stephen moffat and mm. jenna coleman matt smith um uh it was it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun lots of costumes lots of running around um got to uh got to speak to mark gatiss for about 30 seconds um and we geeked out over the cold war uh him (laughs) him getting to write it uh he was very pleased uh and and uh the 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 people camping out um starting at like i I think it was 7 7 p.m the night before the doctor who panel they started camping out 
Uh, well, for, yeah, to get into that hall. So actually, Stephen, I've got to ask. I mean, you say Doctor Who had quite a big presence. I mean, what other shows were there, and how big, and how big, how big or small were they compared to Doctor Who? Um, pretty much any show you can imagine is there. Any any sort of genre show, and then some that even break the genre, uh, break out of genre, such as like How I Met Your Mother, um, which oh, I wow, guess, okay. yeah, I guess it's a bit of a nerdy show, but um, but um, uh, as far as uh, as far as British shows, uh. There really weren't any. I mean, there's Doctor Who, okay. um, and then there's BBC America has Orphan Black, which is um, quite a big hit here. Um, but uh, Vampire Diaries, all those types of shows, um, uh, anything, uh, anything that sci-fi is doing, the, sci- the Sci-Fi Channel here is doing at this point. Um, but it was it was in- it is interesting. I mean, Doctor Who is really the the um, uh, carrying the uh, <laughs> carrying the British flag at Comic Con. Cool. Well, hang on a minute. So, if you were at Comic Con and you saw, did you did you, did you see the shaven headed Karen Gillan? Uh, I was. I did. I've seen pictures of her. I didn't. I did not actually see her. Yeah. No. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. She. Uh, uh, Matt actually made a joke about uh, about that because um, he always says that she has a moon face. Um, yeah. And he said that she looks even more like a moon now. Well, it seems if, if if you're in the lead if you're in the lead cast for Doctor Who and you leave, you have to have your head shaved. Has anyone seen Arthur Darville? <laughs> <laughs> really quite worrying. It is quite worrying because they both look so strange. Um, when Matt Smith had his buzz haircut, I, I swear he looked more like Christopher Eccleston than than he did Matt Smith. And mm. and Karen Gillan, oh goodness! I mean, I've got to be honest; he doesn't do a thing for her, does it? No, <laughs> well, thing. well, it, 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 it takes a certain kind of uh, a, a, a very great courage. I mean, you know, in a society that places so much idiotic importance on the way that women look, for, for you know, for a woman to say, "Okay, well, here's my hair; it's gone," then okay, you know, it, 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 it's it's a it's a bold move. It's a bold move. But hang on, look, there's, <laughs> there, 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 there's something more important than all this. Um, was there any? Did you did you see any? Did, did you see any trailers for anything while you were out there? I saw two trailers actually. Oh yeah, what were they for? <laughs> I saw a very lovely trailer for uh, an adventure in space and time. It's space and time, right? I always confuse that whether it's time and space, space mm-hmm. and time, space and time. Uh, which it gave me chills, to be honest. It, go on, really, go on. it was it was beautiful. Uh, uh, just the, the the recreated sets and the, the the setup of it all, and everyone really looking like you know like the people that they're playing. It was it. Uh, I'm very very much looking forward to that. The trailer was fantastic. Does the man look like Bill Hartnell? Then he does. He does. Oh, yeah. phenomenally so. I mean, have you seen any of the press pics, Tom? A few, a few. I think he looks slightly older mm. than than Hartnell, but aside from that, the resemblance is uncanny. It really is. He yeah. certainly looks more. He certainly looks more like Bill Hartnell than Richard Herndall maybe did. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I, I think he looks more like the First Doctor than William Hartnell in a couple of a couple of pictures as well. Um, just be so consistent and so so detailed a look uh, in a way that, of course, Hartnell wasn't at the time. See, and maybe that's the thing because you know, what what we've got now is a guy who's playing a simul who's making a simulation of what William Hartnell actually looked like. So, what, what, as you as you rightly said, I was watching the Daleks this week, and that can be hard work to get through, honestly. But anyway, but you're right. Two things I noticed about that. Number one. The Doctor's not a nice man in that story at all. Um, but number two, as you rightly say, the look is incredibly inconsistent. There, there, there are bits of it where, okay, well, that's the first Doctor. But there are other bits of it where he looks like he, he's just stepped off um, uh, a French Revolution set. Maybe, you know, maybe he's, gonna, he's, he's on his way to, to Les Mis or something. But never mind any of that. There were two trailers, you said. There was one for an adventure in space and time. What was the other one? There was a trailer for the 50th anniversary special. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. 
Okay, strap in, people. Let's hear it. <laughs> so I, I love I love the controversy that's going on with this about it getting released and uh, and Moffat uh, being very clear at the beginning saying you know please don't post this on the internet and 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 I and I think that's fair. I think that um, and. And because someone, someone had posted, well, I'll tell you why I think it's fair. Because um, yeah, because you the saw trailer it. Is beautiful. <laughs> first of all, very the, good. The trailer is very beautiful, um, and uh, it was funny and uh, and exciting, and really, it, if if you weren't hyped for the 50th anniversary special before, you will be after seeing this. And for for someone to record it, for someone to record it on their cell phone. On the, some big on one of the big screens in this dark room, and then post some shaky cell phone footage of it on the internet somewhere, does it an incredible disservice, um, and does a disservice to the people who were sleeping out in line seven o'clock in the uh, seven oh, sure. p.m. before to actually see it. You know, but why not release it online straight afterwards? You know, I I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't I don't know exactly what the what the uh, politics is going on there, and and whatever uh, BBC America feeling that they spent all this money to get these people over here for this promotion and should they you know have something exclusive for at least a little while and things like that Ugh, that's the only thing to, i can for imagine what benefit I, I know I, I can't understand i mean i i do understand why moffat asked for secrecy at preview screenings of episodes tom we were talking a little bit off air before we started recording yeah. about how um everyone behaved themselves incredibly um about the surprise appearance of jenna louise coleman in asylum of the daleks and that worked perfectly can you really apply the same logic and expect the same behavior from fans about a trailer that yeah. is there to promote it can you and no you can't and, and and actually there's descriptions all over the internet already and i would happily tell you guys everything that i can remember from it <laughs> i don't think that that's an issue <laughs> i'm gonna hear the point I, but the trailer the trailer was amazing i mean david Tennant and, and matt smith uh are brilliant together do you know what? Let's not talk about it because if it if it has been posted online at the moment, then everybody would have seen it anyway, and we will talk about that in a later episode of the DWP. What I'm what I'm interested to know is is whether or not this is slightly wonky PR, or or, or whether or not it is a complete storm in a teacup, and people have responded in a way that the organisers never expected. I think it's probably the latter. This this is the third time it's happened though. Um, okay, so the first time Stephen Moffat says, "Please don't tell anybody," was, as you rightly say, at this island of the Daleks. And you know, as, as far as we as, as far as we could, we we kept quiet about it because that's what fans do. Because I know how much I enjoyed seeing it and how much I enjoyed the surprise. Uh, save the surprise, I think it was. Um, so I wouldn't want to deny that to anybody else. Don't get me wrong; I got a lot of emails and a lot of inbox uh, pr- private messages on down Gallifrey Base going, "Oh, come on, tell us, go, tell us, tell us." And it's like, no, absolutely not. Because if you, why do you want to know? So I. I didn't bother. Um, so the second occasion was um, at the end of this uh, this last season when mm. um, the uh, the shock reveal of John Hurt as the Doctor. Trev, I know you can hear me. Where John Hurt as the Doctor was revealed, um, and again you know, the, 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 the request went out. Please don't tell anybody. Save the surprise. And I get, and I've got to be honest. I had a bit of a poke around, and I couldn't find anything. Well, I wasn't looking that hard, but I didn't find out. And when when the surprise came in, it was fantastic. So I think. 
in in what we in in what is by any stretch of the imagination an incredibly a heavily mediated uh, envi- cultural environment that we live in, and you know we we can we can send more messages to more people more quickly than ever before. Um, but it's nice to know that there is still this pre- prevailing sensibility which says, do you know what? I've really enjoyed this. I want you to enjoy it as much as I did. If somebody wants to find out, as you know, Stephen, as you say, they can go to the right place on the internet or the right places, and they can risk a bit of. Uh, no, that's it. They can just open their Christmas presents early. But I've got to be honest, I'd still rather have. The surprise! I still there's still a bit of me that's eight years old, and I and I quite like the surprise. I'd like I, I'd like to see David Tennant saying some new lines. I'd like to see John Hurt looking confused. I want to see uh, Paul McGann falling over and regenerating. Have I have I just guessed the entire trailer? No, you're not. Gonna, there's none of that actually in the trailer, so don't worry about that. On that basis, do you not want to see any of the uh, entire episode? Because I think this is this is right, and everything you say I completely agree with concerning an episode of Doctor Who. But when we're talking about a trailer that is at some point going to make it. You know, onto the World Wide Web official, officially in an official capacity. Yeah. Then you know you're not going to see any major plot points because it's a trailer. It's not supposed to destroy the story. Um, but I, 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 <laughs> the only thing concerning the um the DVD or the Blu-ray release that you mentioned that I was incredibly disappointed about is that Stephen didn't place a pre-order uh, in America. <laughs> But that, that, that was my major regret there. But in all honesty, yes, it is a surprise, and I do want to be surprised as I was when I was a child. But uh, I don't mind being surprised slightly early. Well, just a couple of things. I, for, I know that um, Tom, you didn't look hard enough because I knew John Hurt was at the end of that episode. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, I, I mean, I have heard that the trailer wasn't finished; uh, that they rushed it for Comic Con, and they kind of, they wanted to do something that's a little bit more polished. Again. I, who knows? Who knows? I, I, I do think that within a week, um, it's going to be up somewhere. It's not, you cool. know, I, I, it's, I don't think that it's go- it's going to be hidden. I just think that I, I think they really just don't want they didn't want people recording it and posting it crappy on the Internet. And, yeah, and, that, yeah. I, and that's that's fine. Yeah, and, and, and I completely understand. That. And so wait a little while after the Comic-Con is passed so that people feel like they didn't wait out for nothing. Um, just get you know, make people feel a little bit better about about sleeping on the ground um, for all those <laughs> hours, um, and then and then give it to give it to the fan. At one point, I was looking at this uh, this uh, table for a company called Entertainment Earth, and they sell these these. Uh, I don't know. Did you have Mego in the UK? The Mego dolls in the in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. like yeah, um, and they're making these reproductions Mego Mego dolls of of, uh, of Doctor Who characters, and they've already done Fourth Doctor and things like that. And they they had a set up there uh, for the fiftieth anniversary special, um, and there were uh, a couple heads that were just pictures dropped in there and they had um the 11th doctor and clara and they had a set was the doctor and the 10th doctor and the doctor was the john hurt Ooh! so everyone worrying about the numbering mm-hmm. he might not he just they might just not give him a number <laughs> he's still <laughs> the doctor that's it i reckon suspended regeneration they just re- regenerate him pull him sideways and then regenerate him again oh help me please doctor i'm damaged there's a pain this is your at least your seconds Comic Con, isn't it? Oh, this is my seventh Comic Con. Seventh? <laughs> yeah. Do you dress there up? Go. Do you dress up? I do. I do. Cool. Who'd you go as? I went as the Eleventh Doctor. I had, of course. My, I had my purple frock coat and several different waistcoats and shirts and ties and. Wow. Yeah. Where did you get the coat? Where did you get the coat? 
uh <laughs> i got the i got the fabric from uh from the the manufacturer there when i was in london oh oh my god you're a real one yeah. oh yes yeah. no, no, tom i mean Stephen's selection wasn't entirely random you know and i have a feeling that when you two talk alone um then it will be about a three-hour podcasting and it will focus pretty much on cosplay anyway we, we we need to move on and coming up after this review from ian and michelle of a fourth doctor big finish release that's sounds of life and war against alan will be putting Stephen himself under the microscope. No, I'm not going to put you under a microscope. No, say that again. Sorry. Is that, is that land the, <laughs> we're doing, okay. doing a Land of the Giants recuration? Yes, yes, that's that actually makes sense. Much more than what I actually said. So. <laughs> Big finish with Ian and Michelle from across the Atlantic Ocean. Ian from the UK and Michelle from the United States. Reviewing Big Finish. Sorting out the wheat from the chaff and nonsense, saving you money on the ones that are not so good. This week we're looking at an unusual story from Big Finish, the second and third installments of this season of uh, Fourth Doctor and Romana stories. The first one, The Sands of Life, is a three-parter, very unusual. The next story is War Against the Lawn, and that's a two-parter. So essentially you get a five-part sort of epic story from Big Finish. Well, these are set in the future. Uh, the Doctor and Romana turn up at Earth. Surprise, surprise. In fact, one of the running gags of this season seems to be that uh, that Romana is wondering why they keep coming back to Earth when they're supposed to be bouncing all over the universe with a randomizer to escape the Black Guardian. They find themselves in between uh, a mysterious alien race called the Lan and the CEO of a powerful Earth corporation called Cuthbert, played by David Warner. And this is a really unusual character for David Warner. I love David Warner. I love him in everything that he does. He's one of my favourite actors. But his character is a very strange one. And in fact, one I quite like is um, he plays this sort of very powerful um, CEO of an evil corporation, a quite traditional character that we've heard in many other places before. But he does it with this sort of um, northern accent and very down-to-earth, gritty nature which i found quite different and his take on it is um unusual i want that creature cut open i want to know what makes it tick what made it and its several billion friends cause the destruction of the single most important piece of work undertaken by the conglomerate do you understand me of course but there are certain humane considerations there were no humane considerations when these little beggars caused my space station to blow up they didn't worry about the lives and families of the 300 or so conglomerate personnel who were blown out into space to die in a brawling mess. Begin dissection, Professor, begin. No pussyfooting around, please. It's a little bit reminiscent of the character in the Countermeasures series, who was the sort of the East End Barrow boy, but also the head of uh, the, the research company. There's, there's, there's a slight air in there of the sort of the counterpoint between... Uh, the sort of the working class background and this incredibly powerful executive. I think David Warner makes, brings it to life a lot better. For me, the biggest problem with uh, The Sands of Life was that it was just so long. I, I don't know why they chose to make a three-parter out of it. Is that I found that the story just went on and on and on and seemed to, seem to be padded and padded and padded and a bit of a runaround. Well, I find myself agreeing with you quite a bit on this one, and I'm in the fairly uncomfortable position of, of having a whole load of um, creative artists that I really, really enjoy and almost always love their work, and yet feeling pretty disenchanted with this one. And you're right, I just couldn't get over the feeling as we went through this that it was boring, and that I 
really didn't care what was going to happen to these characters. I hadn't paid attention going in to the fact that these two stories were connected, and you mentioned it to me just before I listened to that. And when I got to the end of Sands of Life, I thought, oh, no, I have to carry this on for another two episodes in the next story. David Warner is amazing. Nicholas Briggs, I love almost everything he writes. This is just kind of an exception to that, but I completely agree. There are times, not just in Sands of Life, but also in War of the Lawn, where they're discussing things back and forth. Nobody is listening to anybody, and so they repeat the same things over and over and over again uh, in a series of different rooms and settings with nobody ever listening, uh, and it gets really old. Yes, and the, the, the other recurring thing that really started to grate on my nerves was the Lawn themselves, who are played by Jane Slavin, who have this sort of very mournful help us kind of uh, ethereal voice that just kept coming out over and over and over and over again. You are like us, Ramona. I am? A female who moves through the oceans of time. You are strange, but we know you mean us no harm. And neither do these people here. That is not true. They carry weapons. They attack us. But only because they're frightened. They don't understand. We cannot let them destroy our future. I just found it really started to get on my nerves. Is is it was just it's almost like one of my children coming and just whinging at my shoulder all the time, saying, Please can we go out, please can we go out? And <laughs> and, and once or twice, and it was just okay, that's the, what the character sounds like. But when they're doing it over and over again across five episodes of this, it just ended up becoming really tiring. And as you say, I, I found three episodes of The Sounds of Life to be too much. And to then have two more tacked on was just, why, why are we doing this? Five five episodes of really quite subpar storytelling. And, and there's not a bad story in there to be told. But if they'd trimmed the entire thing down to, frankly, two episodes, I think there would have been an, a, a snappy t- tale to be told with great actors and great and some good characters. And it would have, you know, rattled on at a decent enough pace and then we move on to something else. I think you make a really good point that this could have been a really good two-parter. You mentioned their voice. I had a little bit of trouble distinguishing their voice from the voice of the, the female president of Earth. And at first I thought maybe they were being played by the, the same actress doubling, but that wasn't actually the case. But the the lawn in this story are are all female. And they have the ability to have these sort of empathic links with the other females in the story, like the president and like Romana. In fact, this is this is a pretty strong story for Romana, who gets to do quite a bit, uh, which is nice to hear. But all the bad guys are male, particularly Cuthbert, the, the CEO of the conglomerate, which uh, is this company that owns everything, including the government. And then there's this horrible general with another one of those horrible American accents. And they're just, they're one-note characters. They're very strident in their aggressiveness. Um, Cuthbert, in fact, is is also very sexist in many of his comments, and I, and I think intentionally written to be that way. But that kind of black-and-white nature of the guys being bad for the most part and the girls you know, being the, the empathic ones just, I don't know, felt a little too too easy or too simplistic or you know it seems like we're beyond that in our storytelling i i thought that david warner's character cuthbert was a little bit more than one note that there was a there was a certain dynamic in there he, he's not just cackling evil he's actually just very self-interested and has a very cold view of how to get things done 
he doesn't do things just for the sake of it. And and if there's no particular benefit to him in doing something, he doesn't just hurt people or do bad things for no reason, which many, many Doctor Who villains would do because they are cackling maniacs. Um, he was actually a very intelligent person who just had a very single-minded view about how he wanted to do things in life and no particular empathy with others. And I thought, actually, it was played quite well by David Warner. That you, There are moments when you almost, I wouldn't say warm to Cuthbert, but um, you can see that he's just doing what he thinks in his own worldview is right. So I thought there were some nuances to his character. Um, but I, I agree with you that the other ones were awfully sort of flat and straightforward and simple. And then to have this sort of collection for so long, it, it was just a chore, to be honest with you. And it's a real shame, because to bring in an actor of David Warner's uh, calibre and to put him across from Tom Baker, I, I, it was just a real letdown. I, I had high hopes for this, and it's just ended up being quite a letdown. Although um, David Warner does return later in the C series in The Dalek Contract, which is another two-parter, uh, and hopefully that will live up to our expectations a bit more. Welcome to the camper van. One of the one of the initiation ceremonies, apart from the one with the with the biscuits and the locked door, um, is that we have to ask you a number of questions. I think if I, if I cast my mind way back to the early to the first day we actually got the keys to the camper van, uh, we sat around asking each other about our favourite episodes and stuff like that. So if we can just repeat the process with you, that would be lovely. Certainly, I would love that. Fabulous, James. Do you, do you, want, do you want to go first? No, you go first, Tom. Your question was always more insightful and more interesting oh, than mine. That's a lie. But all right, fine. Um, okay, well, I, I was thinking, I, 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 it's just as well. I was thinking about this, this uh, today. Uh, apart from uh, An Unearthly Child, which would you say was the single most brilliant episode? Not story, single most brilliant episode of Doctor Who. Most brilliant episode? Wow. Jeez. There, there's so many. Um, uh to pick one, just one. I mean, so the first thing that comes to my mind is City of Death because I, I love that episode. Wicked. So, so much. Um, but I also really love Eleventh uh, Hour. Okay. Um, so it, from if I say classic and, and new who, I'd say with those, that would be the range right there. I would, I would definitely start with City of Death. But Eleventh uh, Hour and uh, would be my, my, my favorite from the since 2005 what, what is it about city of death that uh, that makes you love it so much something well the, the idea of of them going to paris and and uh, uh <laughs> tom and lala just running around paris shooting uh, and having fun uh and then turning it into a doctor who episode basically i, I just love that idea <laughs> it's a fun and clever episode and uh scarlet being split through time and you know it, it definitely it definitely has that uh timey-wimey aspect to it uh, lack of a better word i'm sort of hate starting to hate that term um uh yeah and uh, there's just the characters the story everything i just really really love that love that story a lot no, it, it, it's one of my favourites as well. I have to say, and I, all for the same reasons, really. Nothing, nothing more I can add to that. I just think it's the absolute pinnacle, really, of the fourth, fourth Doctor era. Yeah. So, and John well, Cleese is in it. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that's one of the downsides <laughs> for me. I think. Right, it's my question, yeah. isn't it now? Okay, now this is going to be even more complex and in depth. So, are you ready? Ready. Okay. Who's your favourite companion? I don't want to go for the typical answer, but I have to, and it's Sarah Jane Smith. She's oh, great. She's okay. a great one. She's great. Reasons? When when did you first uh, see Sarah Jane? When was it that she, um, I don't know, she tweaked that fan gene of yours? I remember 
uh, when I when I watched Doctor Who as a kid, she is the she's the one companion that uh, that stuck with me um, through through being an adult. So um, uh, she just was the mo- always the most memorable companion. Um, mm-hmm. And again, uh, her relationship with the Fourth Doctor is is fantastic. So um, yeah, yeah, Sarah Jane. If you had to, if you had to pick a companion and a doctor who were never actually on screen together and you had to so you had to mix them up, what do you think would be the best combination? That is a good question. Oh. Wow. I have to I have to think about that one for a moment. Um let's see. I mean as a, as an example, a fa- a, 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 if you wanted to just have a fight, I reckon you could have Nine and Leela. Leela <laughs> would win, but I think it would be an interesting fight for the bits until she did. I'd like to see something even even stranger, something like Amy with the first Doctor. Oh dear! You know, <laughs> do you know? I think that's something that Trevor said uh, a little while ago. Do you know we had an entire episode for Doctor Companion mashups, and I have a feeling that if it wasn't you, Tom, mm. it was it could only really be Trevor. <laughs> I think it was just the three of us at the time. Um, said Matt, uh, the first Doctor with with with, uh, with Amy Pond. No, I'm sorry. I was, he just lock her out with that. Be like, see ya, bye. Right, enough of that one. Click. <laughs> I'm not quite sure whether that would be intriguing or whether it just wouldn't work. <laughs> it's it, it's hard. hard but so we're answering yeah. we're answering the question for you, Stephen. What do you think? What do I think, or why? I mean, because that would be the pairing that I would like to see together. I think I think yeah, I think exactly this would happen. He would he would not put up with her. It would be it would be a, a uh, they would butt heads completely, and it would be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And Rory would just sort of sit there and you know observe the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, who else? I think that there's probably bunch of that would be that would be very interesting i'm trying to think of who i'd like to see rory with because uh mm. i do love rory as a companion but um you, you give me an answer give me an idea should i say but anyway <laughs> go on this is meant to be your <laughs> i don't know your maybe case. maybe rory with the with the seventh doctor mm. that could be interesting that could be interesting actually although yeah mm, because i think what, what the seventh doctor would just be moving him around and be like what am i going over here for just get just get over there haste Yes, I don't think I don't think there would be any difficulty in manipulating Rory in the slightest. I I, I think I'd quite like to see him with Harry Sullivan and a fourth Doctor because the, the two of them together would get completely distracted and just go off down the pub. I yes. think. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that working. I can see that working. <laughs> Go see the doctor. Out of all of the missing episodes, which would you like to most see rediscovered? I, I don't. I don't think I have an answer for that one. No, oh, I thought that was a good question. That is a good question. <laughs> I just. I'd have to. Because I, I don't. I bad fan. I don't have them off off the top of my head. I'd have to, to think about it. But um, you know, I, I I would like to see any episode that I haven't been able to see, to be honest. So, okay. um, yeah. it, it's it's it would be hard. It's hard to pick one. But yeah. Okay. No, that's fine. Tom, back to All you. Right, okay, I, I, I'm going to ask the last obvious question, uh, and then there's a couple of other things. I, I think we, I think, I think we should, rather than looking back, we should start looking forward. But the last obvious question, I think, um, new who, old who, um, or neither? <laughs> <laughs> it's all the same show. Okay, see, that's the answer. That's the actual answer. I mean, okay, but there's a good. So, how how do you feel when people start saying, "Oh no, well, the old, you know, the new show is just a, just a reboot. It's got nothing to do. It's all it's all magic and cartoons. It's nothing to do with the old show." I mean, how, how do you meet that? Argue with them that it is the same. That it is the same <laughs> show. I mean, it's just the 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 times have changed. The show has just moved with the times. You know, I mean, we're we're in a modern era. We're in a we're in a 
a Joss Whedon post Buffy era at this point, you know, where we tell stories on television differently and, you know, budgets are bigger and things are easier to create. And, Mm. but I I think that, I think that they're still trying to tell the same great stories and, and the fact that, um, uh, that people like, uh, like Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss and even Russell T Davies, who I'll, who I will bash time to time. Um, uh, the fact that there are fans, uh, creating the show, creating the creating a, a show in their own vision uh, uh how they how they remember it how the sto- the stories were that they they remember you know um the the feelings and things are trying to evoke those same feelings to me makes it makes it even more so the same show now, now see now this is interesting um one one of the last over the last week or so i've been watching just just been I had to do a project which just had me at my desk, which is great because there's this, like this like twenty inch iMac on this side, so I can just throw Doctor Who onto it. Um, and watching old Hartnell, what only this is this is going along with something that you said. You know, the, the show tells us about the make how television is made, uh, and the producers make make Doctor Who in there, and, and the it, the show is made in the image of the day. I think that's what you said. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's been really interesting watching. Um, the War Games today, the Daleks. Uh, I watched Caesar Doom a couple of days ago, and then yesterday night I, I sat there and I tried to watch and I watched um, End of Time Part Two, so David Tennant's last story, and Voyage of the Damned, and I th- and you know, I, I I had issues with it. I, I I don't remember disliking David Tennant's portrayal. He's a brilliant actor. It's a great show. It's my favourite show. But I had real problems with David Tennant as the Doctor in a way that I hadn't noticed that I did before. He was loud. He was brash. And I thought, no, he's right for the time. But is he right for the Doctor? I, I, it's interesting you've chosen those two stories because I think you've got a very different Tennant portrayal in both Voyage of the Damned and The End of Time. So I, I wonder whether or not if you would watch something that's completely different, for example, like Blink, um, possibly even Tooth and Claw, mm. where he is a little bit more subdued. He's, he's not as gregarious and I am, you know, God, <laughs> which is basically the, the, the paragraph that he had in Voyage mm. of the Damned. I wonder if you'd feel the same. I, I, uh, I agree. I mean, I, I, I loved I loved David Tennant when, when he was on. And I, and I think that his first series is, has some just incredible incredible high points um but uh i've done an episode where we have completely obliterated end of time for what it is because i just i it's terrible uh it's it's terrible Uh, i I do not enjoy that that episode and i and i agree i think i i I have trouble i actually do have trouble going back and watching david Tennant episodes now um because the show has changed so much since stephen moffat took over but uh, again i think it just comes down to you know it, it, who is who is in charge at the time and and what what is doctor who to them and what is it that that they remember doctor who being when they were kids you know see, see, this, see, this is the this is the thing but I, mean, I remember uh, for anyone who hasn't seen uh, seeds of doom go and get it it's brilliant it's an it's effectively an avengers episode with uh, that happens to have the doctor and sarah jane in it in fact if you want to see some amazing fourth doctor stuff mask of the mandragora and seeds of doom and well, I, I'm going to have to argue with you there. I would discourage anyone from watching Seeds of Doom. It's got a very, very undoctorish fourth he's doctor ace. in it. He's violent, he's humorless, and he's horrible to Sarah Jane. So he's the first doctor then? <laughs> but he's not. <laughs> the first doctor is, is in a completely different context. I mean, and I know what you mean about the Daleks, and you're absolutely right. But uh, but this is this is us going off at a tangent. So this is what happens, Stephen, quite a lot, incidentally. <laughs> <laughs> we ask you questions, and then you get sidelined whilst we argue. <laughs> and that is the Doctor Who podcast, essentially. 
um, we're going to head back over to the other annex we have here in a camper van. We've got so many rooms, it's unbelievable, where Stephen Elsden is sitting ready to talk about the opening of season 26 with myself and Ian in part five of Seven Heaven. You are merely another Time Lord! Oh, Davros, I am far more than just another Time Lord. Time Lord. This whole area is crawling with armed extraterrestrials, and they are hostile. Same as ever, eh, Brigadier? Welcome to the Candy Kitty. Time Lord, Time Lord, Time Lord. Time Lord. And welcome to part five of Seventh Heaven. I'm joined, as always, by Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Hello, James. You're getting very comfortable in that chair now, aren't you? Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm enjoying sitting in this chair, actually. It's, uh, oh, well, okay. <laughs> more well, than I thought I would. <laughs> well, the end is in sight, so don't get too comfortable. <laughs> this is the final season that we're going to be reviewing at Seventh Heaven. But for the next ten minutes, we've got Battlefield, and Ian will be joining us shortly to discuss Ghostlight with you. So, Battlefield. <laughs> Well, I knew how fond of it you were, so when you last went on your travels, I had to put in mothballs. Does it run on petrol or steam? <laughs> Merlin, Sarah Kingdom, where do you want to start? Uh, well, we start with the brig. Um, I, you know, I mean, first scene, absolutely lovely to see Nick Courtney back in the back in the show. I mean, there were so many, so many nods to the past in in season twenty-five. You know, so much of a love letter to fans. Lovely to see that continuing in, in season 26 with the, with the Brigadier and to have taken his story on, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of fans, have, you know, enjoyed, enjoyed, uh, you know, what was done with his character in, uh, in later years. Lovely bits of, uh, bits of history. I mean, the, the, the unit passes, I just thought, you know, lovely bits of, but at the beginning, I'm just thinking the music is still working against the, the action. I've talked about this in, in the McCoy era in the past. I mean, only with a few of these stories have I felt that the music has worked well with the stories and I do, do battlefield it just didn't really seem the right the right type of music it's a it's a bit of a bit of a mixture about battlefield i mean I, i've enjoyed the uh, the nights but they really did feel like they've walked out of a different show and maybe that yeah. was the idea i mean it's obviously a mishmash of the the merlin legend with the legend of the doctor if you like and you know where does one stop and the, and the, and the other start there was a lot going on here i mean i i think um the uh, the, the trepidation with uh, with ace drowning and of course i, I mm. you know did watch the extra and understand about the, the live drama there was in the, in shooting that scene, but I think for me what really makes Battlefield stand out is is the Brigadier, his relationship with the Doctor. I mean, it just felt like a Pertwee era story to me. I mean, even to the extent you know we've got Bessie appearing Absolutely. as well. I yeah. mean. Uh, yeah. No, I, I think there's a lot to like about this story. And again, I think you can see you know, the similarities to the previous season opener. It's the same writer. There's heartbacks to the past. It kind of feels slightly celebratory in tone. This one. It's a bit more novel, though, if that makes sense. It's a bit more of an original concept because it, it, it takes the concept of a mysterious doctor and kind of twists it that little bit more than we're used to. Merlin. Yes, yes. Though, of course, it's then left hanging. I mean, that's never never resolved, you know. <laughs> it's given us a, a different aspect to the Doctor. And I did think in this adventure that McCoy was clearly 
restraining himself a bit more. He was trying to be a bit more enclosed and not giving oh. too much away. And uh, that, that was know. obvious right from the opening sort of story. You think? In the, yeah, from Battlefield, definitely mm. for me. Wow. It was less of a less of a, a lampooning performance than I think we were talked to before about him. You know, he's a theatrical performer, but it's it's yeah, a much more sort of buttoned down mm. doctor that we see in uh, in Battlefield. I thought at times. I have to say the other thing that I particularly liked in this uh, this one was the Destroyer. Um, I'm yes. a big fan of the Clive Barker films, and I thought he could have walked out of Hellraiser, that Destroyer. I thought a fantastic piece of, uh, of creature design. Mm. Shame he didn't really get to do too much <laughs> once he was well, on he, screen. Well, but. he moved quite majestically from looking to the left to looking to the right. <laughs> that was quite good. Yes. <laughs> But now I can place him because I, I did actually get some uh, Doctor Who Top Trumps uh, Christmas oh. and I wasn't sure who the Destroyer was. So now I know exactly what uh, what adventure he was in. Oh, I'm it, glad so. we're filling in gaps in your knowledge there. <laughs> in, in terms of the, the story itself, one of the criticisms that's, that's levelled at Battlefield is that there isn't actually a great deal of story there. It's lots of intriguing ideas, some original concepts, but nothing's really resolved. And apart from a Doctor donning on a darker jacket to match the tone of this series, there isn't really anything of note you know, to remember. Is is that fair, do you think? Um, yeah, I, I know it's not Nick Gaunt's last performance of the, of the Brigadier, but I think in terms of him being a, an active part of the story, it's, it's, it's probably most notable for that, really, isn't it, rather than... Uh, well, any, it, it, it was else. it was Nicholas Courtney's last performance in Doctor Who. He he returned yes, to Sarah Jane yes, Adventures, but, uh, but uh, yeah, it is a bit of a of an end of an era. Yes, but yes. certainly also fleshed out his personal life. Yes, was it Doris? Dor- Doris, yes, and that yes. lovely, uh, lovely grand mansion with a garden big enough to land a helicopter in, and, yes. uh, and that was a lovely touch, wasn't it? The helicopter actually landing and getting, you know, spend a bit of money on that helicopter. It's the first story in the season. Let's blow the budget. Let's try and win back those <laughs> viewers that we lost at the end of last season. <laughs> but yes, yeah, all, all in all, quite a strong original opening to to the final season. Yes, nothing, nothing to be embarrassed about. It doesn't have to be a guilty pleasure, I don't think. Uh-huh. Okay, well, talking of guilty pleasures, well, in fact, I think there's no pleasures at all. It's just just guilt, really, in my view. We're going to be moving on to the next story. So I'm, I'm going to be handing over to Ian here so that I don't rant for the next 10 minutes and you don't get a word <laughs> in it. Right? So after that entirely neutral and unleading introduction from James, <laughs> we're on to Ghost Light. I told you I've got this thing about haunted houses. Did you tell me that? Yes. How many have you been in? One was enough. Never again. A controversial story in fandom. So before I give any of my opinions, what did you think of this story? I thought it was a lovely gothic chamber piece, Ghostline. I, I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I love the, uh, I love the setting. I love the dark humour in it. Um, I love the, uh, the, the the story reveals. Um, it had several genuinely horrifying moments in it, particularly the scene with the sheeted figures as they're revealed to have been uh, you know, um, the, the cast off uh, husks of, uh, of, of creatures. Things that you hadn't actually seen, well, I haven't actually seen in, in the whole of the, of the McCoy era. It was talked about uh, Battlefield being very much... Uh, uh, homage, if you like, to the Pertwee era. Actually, in times, Ghostlight felt like an homage to the Gothic era of Tom Baker. I can certainly see that. Did you understand what the story was, though? <laughs> 
maybe not entirely, but uh, you know, I, I I enjoy reading James Joyce, and I don't necessarily understand every every uh, every page of his uh, of his writings. I think um, the through line was clear enough. I mean, there were little bits around the edges that you know you've got to go back and watch it again. But then that's no bad thing, I think, with a story as strong as this. Do you think that perhaps it suffered from only being three parts long? Because I've always felt when I watched this one, I always I've only watched it a couple of times, and only recently because I didn't watch this at the time. It looks fantastic. There's clearly some wonderful ideas in there and the production design they've really gone to town on. But it feels like they've edited an episode out and there's bits of exposition and plot missing that with just a little bit more, it would have made a lot more sense. Yes, and I think the um, probably the character of Light could have been developed, in, I think, if there was an additional episode, in, in a better way. I, I thought when he came into the story, he didn't quite have the, um, the impact and gravitas that he was probably intended to have. To me, actually, and I've talked before, I mean, I love Douglas Adams, but I did see, I mean, obviously there was a Douglas Adams gag in this one about the inviting your ancestors uh, round to tea. But but actually, Light felt to me like full prefect, a stranded guide contributor, um, you know, aimless trying to find his, his, his purpose in life. It's, it's interesting watching these, these these adventures, which are, you know, three or four parts are clearly a lot longer than, than, than who is these days. And I think one of the criticisms that I've felt in the past is some of the stories have been long-winded to fill four episodes or five or six episodes. And I think this is a story that doesn't outstay its welcome, and that's a, that's a, that's a good thing. Now, one of the things we see in this is a backstory given to Ace and actually going into her past and giving some depth, which, to be honest, very little of that had ever been done with Who Companions. Do you think this was a sort of a preview of what was to come in the new series? Most definitely, and again, I've I've talked on a, on earlier podcasts about that. I think um, you know Sophie Alstrid's character here was was so well developed. You know, she has got a a through line, and as we get later into this season, you've got revelations that that change your 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 view of the earlier episodes. I mean, I think there's a there's a richness to Ace, which definitely became a template for 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 Rose and the female companions who followed her. You, we already heard that J- James is not a fan of this. Many fans aren't, and the criticism often levelled at it is that it's completely impenetrable to non-fans and you have to really work hard to enjoy this no I'm, I'm surprised to hear that actually yes okay you've got ace's backstory and if you were a casual viewer you might think well who's this character and why do i care about you know whether she was in this house years 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 later it wasn't a typical who adventure of the time as i say i think it alluded back to the to tom baker era i would have thought this was intriguing for for a casual viewer i think you could put this on the on the tv today rubbish the, the usual counter, other than James is heckling from the wings, <laughs> is that it, it credits the viewer with intelligence. Do you think that's a fair statement to make about I think, it? Yeah, why is that a bad thing? I think that's something that we should be revered. I think too much of, uh, of the new series uh, credits the uh, the viewer with ignorance, more often than not. A, a story that uh, requires you to think and to think around the story and to maybe some of your own connections is, is a good thing. Oh, good. Well, it's nice to leave on a positive note here. We better wrap up before James comes and grabs one of the microphones <laughs> off of us. So join us again next time for the last part of Seventh Heaven where we look at the end of Classic Who. Well, that was great. Uh, Stephen getting to watch those uh, Battlefield and Ghost Light. Ghost Light is, is uh, one of my favourite Seventh Doctor stories, actually. Uh, so uh, uh, it's nice to hear someone else talking about it. Um, well, I guess uh, I guess that's the end of uh, this episode. Uh, I, uh, did, did I survive? Am I... Am I, am I Am well, I still, still in the camper van here? Well, <laughs> I, I don't know. You turn up, you turn up with no Jaffa cakes. I'll tell you what, in the vein of this podcast, I would like to ask you one final question, Stephen. And what on earth made you say yes when we offered you the keys to the camper van door? <laughs> 
yes, the the the, the promise of uh, unlimited Jaffa cakes. Really, um, no, I uh, I've been a big fan of uh, of of this podcast for a long time, and uh, the couple times that I have appeared on it as a guest, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, the conversations that we've had. Um, and, uh, and, and so how could I, how could I say no to that? How could I say no to talking to you guys every week? Well, quite easily, I would imagine, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I'm really glad you didn't. <laughs> and I hope listeners, you'll make Stephen feel extremely welcome. You can get in touch with him in the same way you can get in touch with the rest of us. Stephen with a PH at the Doctor Who podcast. Dot com. You can go and check out his biog on the hosts page on our website now as well. And and Stephen, the one thing I don't have to hand is your Twitter handle. Should someone wish to tweet you and uh, send you their commiserate congratulations on the on joining the Campervan team? <laughs> well, uh, they can they can tweet me at uh, Madman Box Pod. Okay. Would you like to explain that just a little bit more? <laughs> I do. I do uh, have another podcast that I do, um, uh, which is just me talking uh, with myself and, and my friend Yun talking with uh, a different fan every week about an episode of their choosing, uh, and it's called A Madman with a Box, mm-hmm. and uh, it can be found at a madmanwithabox.com and. Um, and uh, that's my Twitter handle as well. If they can find me at. Fantastic. Yeah. No, it's one podcast that I have I've been on. And uh, Tom, I I think you'd be a fantastic guest on that show as well. Okay, Stephen. Okay, Tom. Thanks very much indeed for for joining me in this uh, in this milestone episode. It's a new era we're uh, we're launching into now in the camper van. And listeners will be back next week where we're going to be starting a new series of burning issue episodes. And the subject of the first episode is Doctor Who, trendsetter. Or trend follower. We'll look forward to discussing that in seven days' time. Bye for now, everybody. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for having me. This was. Uh, this is. Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, the future. Really looking forward to talking about that trend setting. You've been listening to the Doctor Who podcast with James, Tom, and Stephen, or as I like to call him, the new guy. You can find more episodes of the show at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook and via the Doctor Who podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.